Let's pray. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. There are times when we just have to stand back and marvel at what God has done and is doing, and particularly at the way he goes about things. If we don't, I suggest we should. And the Pentecost story is just one of those occasions. What was God doing here? Why did he do it like this? And what had he in mind? When I was preparing this sermon, I read Acts chapter 1, and I read Acts chapter 2, and I couldn't stop reading Acts. I went right through the whole of the book, because Acts 1 and 2 are the beginning of a long story. And this first outpouring of the Holy Spirit, I could see, had three marked long-term effects. It wasn't a short-term thing. It had long-term effects. It transformed ordinary people. It led to restless evangelism. And it gave rise to relentless church growth. Power, evangelism, growth. As I thought of these themes, I saw a striking similarity with my experiences in the Congo, and I'll talk about those a little bit later. But I was overwhelmed by what I saw. I couldn't help but stand back and marvel at what God had done there and is continuing to do there. And those three phrases applied to that situation as well. Power, evangelism, growth. If I were to give a title to this sermon, I would call it Power to the People. We've heard a lot about that in the last couple of weeks. This might be slightly different. So, under three separate headings. First of all, Powerful People. And if you'd like to follow this sermon, then please find your Bibles, page 1092 and 1093. I'd like you, first of all, to put yourselves in the mind of those disciples as Jesus was about to leave them and ascend into heaven. That's in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. Jesus says this, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised. In a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And don't misunderstand this, but somehow the disciples just don't get it. They put the focus back on Jesus. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel, they ask. No, 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 Jesus replies. The focus is on you now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you were one of those disciples present, what would you have made of that? And if you'd been one of those waiting, praying, anticipating for this something to happen, what would you have been expecting? We have, of course, the benefit of hindsight because we know what happened, but for them, I wonder what they were expecting. What were they really? Were they really expecting this? But this is what happened. Acts 2, verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a mighty wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed like tongues of fire that came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This was mind-blowing, explosive, 
shattering, totally unexpected, I would say, and certainly totally out of the box. And as I say, these days, you, you wouldn't have made it up. You couldn't have made it up. But we have to marvel at this. We have to ask, what was God actually doing here? What was all this about? Luke, in writing Acts, is looking back maybe 30, 40, 50 years to what happened. He's now beginning to make sense of all the things that happened after Jesus was raised from the death and ascended to heaven. And what Luke makes very clear here is that this wasn't just a wonderful experience to revel in, to talk about, to feel warm about. It's not just power to the people. It's really something else. It's the beginning of a new chapter in God's story because straight away afterwards he writes about the effects of all this that had happened. The beneficial effects, not to them, but to the people outside. Verse 11 of chapter 2. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, these people are saying. So as a result of this manifestation of the Holy Spirit, they were being to un- beginning to understand who God was. God was being made known to them. The word of God was beginning to spread already. So this was power to the people. All that happened that's depicted on this banner behind me, it's power to the people, but the effects was something else. It was power for a purpose. The second thought I have is powerful evangelism. Look at verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Just remember who this Peter was. This was the man who denied his master at the crucifixion. This was this uneducated fisherman this faltering disciple prone to speak before he thinks. And suddenly, he becomes a preacher, fearless, confident, energetic, urgent, challenging. As I said earlier, politicians have been promising power to the people, and we have to wait to see whether that really happens. But when Jesus promised power to his disciples, it really did happen. He delivered it, real power. It transformed Peter and others. And the rest of Acts follows on from this. It records occasion after occasion how the gospel spread outwards, indeed traveled outwards. How the gospel spread, how preaching was linked to signs and wonders. Peter, John, Stephen, Philip, particularly Paul and others. And you get a sense of passion, urgency, movement, always linked to the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through his people. Never without controversy, of course. Never without opposition, pretty well always with opposition, but always effective. Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost itself simply marks the beginning of this part of God's story. God has set his Holy Spirit free amongst his people for one purpose only, to spread the word. Many of you will know I was brought up a Pentecostal. And there was a temptation to view Pentecost with its particular manifestations as a thing to aim for, an end in itself. A Pentecost isn't an end in itself. Churchill once famously during the war, I think it was after the Battle of Britain, said this. He said, this is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end. But it might just be the end of the beginning. And I think this was the end of the beginning. 
Powerful people, powerful evangelism led to powerful growth. And the effect of preaching was immediate. If you read further on in chapter 2 in Acts, you'll discover that thousands were converted there and then in Jerusalem. So what Jesus said was true. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And there were the effects. But the converts weren't just local Jews. They came from all over the place. All those places that were read out. This gospel could transcend language, culture, race even. The gospel was for anyone and everyone who would hear and respond. No doubt many of these people went back to where they'd come from and talked about their experience. We don't actually get that in Luke's story. But what we do get in Luke's story is a record of instance after instance where people individually and in groups responded to preaching and miracles. Paul's apostolic ministry, of course, stands out above the rest. And he brought the gospel to so many different cities and countries around the Mediterranean. And he left behind him worshipping communities in every place he visited. And if ever there was a restless evangelist, he was one. Energetic, urgent, powerful. But he had his problems and he was persecuted. But the Spirit of God was with him. But actually you don't have to be a Paul to achieve this. As I was reading Acts, I came across this verse in 11 chapter 19, showing that Christian communities were created by often rather more ordinary Christians. It says this, Now those who had been scattered by persecution travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. But others went to speak to the Gentiles, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. They couldn't stop telling the good news of the gospel. That's what the Holy Spirit had done to them. That is the power of Pentecost. Which brings me to the Congo. You're going to be seeing some slides in a few moments, and and it'll give you a little bit of the story as we go along. I had been there as a child of missionaries 60 years before, I had gone back just to visit the place where we lived. We've got a picture there, yes. But what I experienced was more than a bit of nostalgia. It was mind-blowing, humbling, spiritually uplifting, but also challenging. And I had to just stand back and marvel at what God had done and was doing there. For I was being constantly reminded that what I witnessed was the result of the ministry of my father, the spirit-filled ministry of my father, all those years ago. But what was equally clear was that God's power was still evident there through the faithful witness of God's people down the years. And here you have a slide of four pastors. One is holding a painting of my father. He's the gentleman on the right, owns his painting, and he has it on his wall, and he's had it on his wall for many, many years. Notice the designation given to my father, if you can read it, Apotre, Apostle Douglas Scott. That's him, and he was converted in an open-air service in East London, I imagine listening to a sermon just like Peter's sermon, and his life was turned round by it. He was an unconventional man, and he found an unconventional church, the Church of England, I'm afraid, wasn't for him in those days. Um, So he joined Elam, became filled with the Holy Spirit, received powerful gifting, really powerful gifting and was called to evangelism, and he went wherever he was called. He traveled, he preached, 
laid hands on the sick, he established churches, always leaving local people in charge of those communities. His was a powerful ministry, apostolic in one sense, certainly, effective, just as we find in Acts. And there I was, retreading some of his journey, but fortunately not on foot, as we had done 60 years previously. That's the kind of road, this is the best picture I could take, because it's the only time I could actually get out of the car to take, to take a picture of us. That's the river there where we had to cross. Sometimes we looked at the bridges to decide whether or not we went on them, or we didn't, because they were so rickety. So the journey was very, very unpredictable. So was the food unpredictable. One day I went without food from eight in the morning till nine at night, and the next day I had three meals, but here is one that was brought very late at night by the daughter of a pastor, and she'd cooked that meal two or three kilometers the other side of town and walked it all the way across on her head and provided for us that evening. Very, very moving, and we were so hungry. You can see, we just went straight into it. But their hospitality was really, really generous considering how little they have. So that's something about um, my father, something about the physical journey that we were sort of going through. Now, what did I find? This is just one example. It's in a town called North Kaboki. I found there a school, a church alongside, the faithful ministry of the head teacher, who was also the pastor, and life, vibrancy, energy. It was something quite something. And what I was told there when I was told 20 times when I was over there, they said, this is your father's legacy. That's what I was told. And I had to stand back and say, well, to marvel at what God has done. Still there, still working, and there were maybe 200 children in that school. They took me to their church and they filled it, and within minutes they were singing. No music, I'm afraid, no drums, no piano, but in harmony. And it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Let's give you an example of another. So that's the class, one of the classrooms. <coughs> and that's them in the church, just getting ready to, to uh, start a short service which they had for me. Just another example on my way back. I didn't have time to go into the church or the school here, but somehow all these people had come together to meet me. Have a look at that um, picture for a moment, and you'll find there there are two people who have Bibles, and nobody else has. Now, those two are the pastors of that church, and it's quite interesting over there. They, many of those schools do have Bibles, but not many others physically have Bibles um, in their hands. And two of those people in that picture told me they were actually two boys when we were there, and they swam with me and my brother in the Lake Tanganyika. You can't imagine the effect that had on me. Um, but I went there to visit Baraka. Baraka was the town we lived in, and I knew that we had a home there, and I knew we were based there, and my aim was to get to the house that we lived in. That was my objective, to get to the house we lived in. But I was given a welcome. I uh, don't know how well you can see that picture, but the pastor of the church is uh, just two to, right over to the left. The gentleman had a picture of my father's next to him. And there was this big welcoming party. The pastor's house is on the top right there. And there was the four-by-four four that we used. And there's another story around that which I haven't time to tell you. But that was quite a thing to be able to get that on the road. Um, so there we are. So that's the, that's the first, the welcome. 
Then he took me around his campus. And on this campus, there were not one school, but three. Three schools. I, I almost couldn't believe it. Three schools, two secondaries and a primary, as well as a nursery school. And as we walked around, he, he showed me all this. Your father's legacy, they kept saying. There was the church. By the time I got there, it was Friday afternoon, three o'clock. We should have got there the day before, but that's another story, but we should have got there the day before. Friday afternoon, three o'clock, and by the time we got into the service and it was going, it was full. And uh, here they are, um, singing, prior to the service, or at least, you never know when the service starts, it just starts and it carries on, and three, three hours later, maybe, it stops. They had a choir, they had two choirs, this was lovely, this, because this choir has just young people, maybe 18 to 30, something like that, and they sang a couple of times. And they're singing, I don't know how I can describe it, but it was immensely uplifting. Uh, these are people who have next to nothing most of the time, and their singing had a vibrancy and a directness and something which, which really pulls at the heartstrings. Wonderful, wonderful singing by these young people. And after they'd finished singing... Um, the pastor then said, we're now going to have a time of prayer. And uh, so he said, would you all stand up? So we all stood up and have a time of prayer. And he said, well, let's all now pray to God. And off they started, and everybody prayed out loud, really loud, for five minutes. That's another idea, Alan. Where is he? Um, <laughs> but it was amazing. And you could feel the Spirit of God there. I didn't understand a word they were saying but for sure you could feel the Spirit of God there. Terrific noise coming out of this building. And then, just, just for some reason, I don't know how it came about, somebody began to sing, then the whole congregation began to sing in a very quiet, reflective, totally you know, harmonious singing, in harmony, and brought the whole thing down to a different kind of reverence for God. And I found this out there in the Congo, where they've got all sorts of troubles and people are poor as anything. There, God's Spirit is at work. And I preached. Um, I'd arranged this visit for a Friday and Saturday because I knew if they'd asked me for a Sunday, I'd be asked to preach. So I was already preaching in Rwanda on the Sunday, so I thought, well, we'll, we'll just go Friday and Saturday. But I finished up preaching three times, um, one fairly short, one slightly longer, but none with notes. This one I did know I was going to be preaching at this point, and, and there I am. And here I am. This is an Englishman. Uh, preaching in French, being translated into Swahili. It's our version of Pentecost, I thought, out there somewhere. You know. There's, uh, there's, there's uh, three, three languages. So I came out there with the idea I wouldn't preach at all, but God had, obviously, other ideas. You can see how hot it was. My shirt is absolutely dripping wet. And another church where I was preaching... See those words there, Jesus, only Jesus in Swahili. You can't miss the message of the gospel there. This is the house. So we've been to the church and that service went on for three hours or so. It was getting dusk by the time I got down there, but we actually found the house that we had lived in. Now I need to tell you that, that I was only going to believe it if I saw it and there were certain things. I knew for one thing it was near the lake. I knew for another thing there was a mango tree outside the house. And I knew for another thing the kitchen wasn't in the house, it was outside. 
When we arrived there, we couldn't get in because it was guarded. And that place is now occupied by the United Nations Peacekeeping Corps from Pakistan. And the welcome they gave me was something else again, and I haven't time to go into that. Amazing welcome I was given once they knew why I was there. Once they knew the story of why I'd come to that place, come in, they said. You can come and look around the house. You can have the run of the place. And it was wonderful to revisit that home that we had there. And so th there it is, right by the lake. And the mango tree was there, and the place where the kitchen was there. It was a bit like Doubting Thomas, but actually, you know, it was all there. And this was very, very moving. So that's what I found, and that's what I found mind-blowing, and that's what made me stand back and think, well, my, my God is a wonderful God, and the Holy Spirit is still at work out there. It's very, very uplifting. But I left with a reality check, and here we come to the reality check. The first thing is, there were massacres there. I don't know if you can see that's the year 2000. Massacres there in 2000. I had an email only four days ago with my friend out there who said there had been violence in a town called Fizi, which is only 30 kilometers from Baraka, where we lived. Thousands of people killed, villagers torched, Christians had to leave the place, and uh, women raped. Terrible. And it's happening right there now. And that's the, reality. that's the other side. That's the reality of it. So that, there are many of those on the road that we went along. Another reality. This is a house that used to belong to a missionary. She was having it built so she could use it as a place where people could come and visit um, when they were visiting in that area. She had to leave because of the, um, the uprisings and so on. I'm pretty sure that house was torched. If you look at the top of it, it looks as if the roof had been burnt down. But anyway, that's how it is now. And they would like to rebuild that. This is the pastor of the church with lots of other people there in Baraka. Remember I showed you that picture of myself preaching and they, he has this vision to make a church, build a church that can take a thousand people. And those are the outside walls, unfinished, and there's something still to be done there. On my way towards Baraka, I'd visited another village and a school, and this was one of our schools, and this is the different side of it. You saw the other school that had nicely painted walls. Here's a school that's looking very bereft. And you see the little children who gathered there with their books, but there weren't any desks, there weren't any chairs, and it was looking pretty drab. And there's the need. So for me, I left with this wonderful memory, uplifting, of what God had done there on one side, and on the other side, I'm left with a personal challenge. And it is a personal challenge. What do I actually do? We have pastors who feel they need support. They overwhelm me with their love. They expected far too much from me than I was able to give. And yet I feel I need to be doing something. Schools and church need funds. AIDS is a huge problem. The medical needs there are really, really big. And I'm still grappling with that. And I'd like your prayers, if you wouldn't mind, just for me to know the best thing to do. However, those churches are there, those people are there, those Christians are there because of what happened at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. The unleashing of God's power then has resulted in all of these things. And throughout history, God's Spirit poured out at Pentecost, has been working through His people, to further his kingdom. And he still does. 
We need to remind ourselves sometimes that Christianity is the fastest growing religion in the world today. Maybe not in the UK, but in the world. And it's mainly in the Pentecostal churches. The message of Pentecost seems to me is quite simple. But it's also profound. You know, God will accomplish his purposes through us. Not because we are powerful in ourselves, but because he will show his power in us and through us. And all that he asks from us is that we let go of ourselves and let God's spirit free to be active in our lives. And if we do that, anything, anything is possible. Amen.